0: welcome to our 9.30 service this morning. Thank you for joining us, whether you are here in church or whether you are joining us online, you are most welcome to this service. Let me begin with some words from Psalm 45. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness and justice will be the scepter of your kingdom you love righteousness and hate wickedness therefore god your god has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy let's stand and sing together our opening hymn hallelujah sing to jesus here's the scepter here's the throne screen is a responsive prayer, can I invite you to join together in the words in yellow, please. Hallelujah to you, O Lord our King. You are robed in majesty and girded with strength. For establishing the world through through your decrees, which are very sure, we praise your name, O Lord our King. You are the God who is, and who was, and who is to come, who reigns over all that come before your throne. We praise your name, O Lord, our King. Lord Jesus Christ, our faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and ruler of all, you put to right the wrongs against your children. We praise Praise your name, O Lord, our King, for loving us and freeing us from our sins by your blood and making us kingdom priests and priestesses, serving God, our sovereign, (coughs) to you, O Lord, our King. Jesus, you are the Alpha and the Omega, the Almighty, rescuing widows, orphans and those in bondage, reigning in victory, coming in the clouds. We We praise your name, O Lord our King. King. Amen. So we stand and sing, Jesus is the name we honour. Jesus, as we exalt your name and acknowledge your authority, we sit under your authority. As we hear your word, we acknowledge your lordship. So help us to fix our eyes on you and to hear your voice, not just for today, but for every day. Speak to us by your word and by your spirit. We ask it in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Do please be seated. And we listen to Jesus' words that he spoke in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 13. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Lord, we've heard your word, but we confess we've not always listened to it attentively. We have closed our eyes against you. We have closed our ears to you. We have shut our minds against your truth. We've heard only what we wanted to hear and done only what we felt like doing. Lord, we confess our half-heartedness, our waywardness, our reluctance to live as your people the ways in which we have failed to be salt in your world. To have that distinctiveness, that holiness, that grace, that obedience. But thank you, Lord, that despite our lovelessness, you continue to love us. So plant your love deep within our hearts and enable us to live out of that love, to live our lives for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we sing love divine, all loves excelling. deacons who are serving to come forward please and i invite you to be seated there is a sense in which the essence of sin is disordered love we are called, we are invited we are challenged to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength but what is it that you love instead of him? If we love God, we are naturally inclined to follow his will. When we love other things instead, when we prioritise other things, that is where sin creeps in. But in his first letter, John says, this is love not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins God's love comes first however much your love fails God's love is there for you and our love is but an answering response to his God has shown his love by giving his son for us, giving his love to us. And this is the place where God meets with us in love. And if you look at your heart and and see that there's not the love there that there should be, ask God to fill you afresh with his love. As we receive the bread and the wine, we receive Christ. And as we receive Christ, we receive his love. And as we receive his love, just ask God to to retune your life, your priorities, your heart, to bring you back into the right place with him. So let's pray. Lord there are times when we look at ourselves in the cold light of day and we we don't like the way we live. We measure ourselves against the standard of your love and see how far we fall short. Yet thank you that it is against the standard of your love that we can measure ourselves. Your love that covers a multitude of sins. Your love that accepts and welcomes us despite our failings. Your love that has reached out to us in your Son to rescue us and take hold of us and to bring us home. So however far we've wandered from you, however we're distant, we've, we've grown from you. Thank you that you welcome us in Jesus' name to this table. And we can come not because we're righteous, not because we're good, but because we have failed. And here we find the love and the grace and the forgiveness and the acceptance that we need. So thank you, Lord, for giving your Son to us and for us to be our Saviour and our Lord. Amen. So we recall how the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread and broke it and gave it to those who were with him and said, Take, eat. This is my body, given for you. And after they'd eaten, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for you. And as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death and said, he comes. The body of Christ given for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. And as we eat and drink, this is where faith becomes personal. Not Christ dying in some abstract sense. But we can say, thank you, Lord, for dying for me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for being my Lord. So as we eat the bread, we make that personal. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Saviour. We stay seated. Please eat the bread as you receive it. This is the body of Christ given for you. This is the blood of the Covenant by which Christ binds himself to us for eternity. He says, You are my people. I am your God. Your sins are forgiven and forgotten. We know him for ourselves. He is our Lord and our Saviour. We keep the cup so that we can drink together as a sign of our fellowship in Christ. The blood of Christ was shed for you. Thanks be to God. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a sharing together in the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not a sharing together in the body of Christ? So we who are many are one body because we all share in the one bread. In a moment you might like to pray for members of the fellowship who are in need of God's grace today. You might like to mention their name out loud. You might like to pray quietly for them. But let's surround those in need with our prayers in a few moments of quiet. Feel free to mention their names out loud if it's appropriate to do so. Lord, those we've mentioned out loud and those who we have carried in our hearts and our minds, we commend to your love and to your care. Be with them and walk with them and may your grace be enough for them, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Can I invite you to stand and we'll sing together. Come and see, come and see the King of love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the King of Love. We pray this morning for the victims of violence and injustice. We pray for those who are sleeping on the streets as the nights get colder. for the migrants who find themselves pawns in a proxy war on the border of Belarus, for children who are victims of war and of abuse. Protect them, we pray. Be their shelter and comfort May they find people who open their hearts to them. Give them peace. We pray for your kingdom of generous self-giving. Lord, you came not to be served, but to serve. So we pray for our political leaders. We thank you for those who faithfully serve their constituents and pray for your protection for them as they do so. And in the light of the ongoing controversy over standards in public life, we pray that decisions would be taken that defend democracy and shape Parliament in good ways. And if we see our leaders failing because of self-serving desire for status or power, Help us to be faithful in praying for them. And may we live as you taught, placing the needs of others above our own, working for a world where status is unimportant and the least and the last are put first. Lord, bring your upside-down kingdom into our lives. of love, we pray for the people of Ukraine, anxious as Russian forces gather on the border. For people whose lives are in danger because of floods and landslides with climate change. As we think of the terror attack in Liverpool and its failure, we pray for those who are the victims of terror attacks in the past. Pray for healing for them. And we pray that this most recent incident would not give energy to those who wish to spread hatred and violence and fear. We long for your kingdom of peace. And King of love, we pray that you would come alongside all those who feel alone or in despair, that you'd be present in their suffering. For those struggling with their mental health that they would find support from those around them, people with skill and tenderness and understanding who will point them in direction towards wholeness again. For those who are sick, grieving, anxious, fearful, show them your care and compassion and bring them into your kingdom of wholeness and rest, we pray. And for ourselves, with all the challenges we face, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. Be with our friends and our families in all their needs and joys. Be with us as a church community, that we would be known by your love, that we would welcome others as you have welcomed us. We long for your kingdom, where we will all be at home. Help us to fix our eyes on it, to pray for it, and to work for it. We ask this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. According to Jewish tradition, salt is one of the basic necessities of life. It's ranked alongside water, fire, iron, flour, milk, honey, grape juice, and cloves. What makes it so precious? Well, if you want to hear about how valuable salt is, how it acts as a preservative, if it flavours food and makes a difference, I warmly invite you to stay on or to join us for our 11 o'clock service this morning, because Deborah Is going to be focusing on those themes in about 45 minutes. For my part I want to consider a different facet of salt and that is how good it is for our health. We tend to think of salt as being unhealthy these days because we have a surfeit of it, but the reality is that without salt we would all die. It is one of the essential minerals in the body that helps us absorb fluids. If you become dehydrated and the level of salt in your body has dropped below a certain level, then simply drinking water won't help you because you won't absorb the fluid. It will simply flush more of the salts and minerals out of your body, go straight through your system. Without enough salt, you may experience weakness, headache, low blood pressure, confusion, lethargy, cramps, even seizures, coma, and in extreme cases, death. I'm conscious there are doctors here. I got this off what I hope are reputable medical websites. You can uh, correct me later. These These days we do hear a lot about consuming too much salt, but having too little is also really dangerous. It is one of the essential ingredients for a healthy body. And in the hot climate of the Middle East, which is where Jesus lived, of course, where people sweat a lot and deplete the salt reserves in the body in the process, they would have known how essential salt is for physical health. And Jesus said, you, we, are the salt of the earth. If salt is essential for the body's well-being, does that mean that we are or should be essential for the well-being of society? If we are salt in society, are we the means of society being whole? But when you look at our society today, it becomes apparent quite quickly that all is not well. I'm not just talking about physical diseases, such as diabetes, chronic respiratory disease and dementia. I'm talking about the state of society. One American Methodist church uses seven indicators to measure society's malaise. And although this is America, some of the qualities are transferable here. Firstly, morality has been privatised to the point where those in power feel free to set their own standards without being held accountable to anybody else. We all feel free to do much as we please. The second one is a society is sick when our natural inclination is not to reach out to help a neighbour in need, but to blame them for having needs in the first place. They deserve it. Why should we help them? Nasty is the new normal, exemplified by so much of what people post and view online. There is bullying in our playgrounds and in the workplace and violence on the streets. We prefer competition to cooperation. I would far rather get the better of you than help you. there is the ugly reality of racism. Less violent or overt over here than it is in the States, but perhaps more insidious. Expressed this past week in Azim Rafiq's statements about he was how he was the victim of racist abuse, and a couple of days later, his own admission that he posted anti-Semitic messages ten years ago. Just a measure of how infectious that is. And then there's, lastly, the issue of inequality, where 1% of society earns 20% of the national income. And those households which come in the top 20% of society earn 12 times as much as those in the bottom 20%, that gross inequality that is there. You may think of other issues in society that make you feel all is not well, our indifference to the issue of climate change, may be one of those things. So if we look out on the society to which we belong and we see it is not well, as Christians we are forced to take a step back and say, well, am I part of the solution or part of the problem? How much are these things part of how I live? Make no mistake, the church, nationally, does a huge amount that benefits society. We run lunch clubs, night shelters, chaplaincies, food banks, and street pastors. Around the world, the church tackles poverty and injustice. It supports communities in the aftermath of disasters and acts as an advocate to the powerless. It is estimated that in 2015-16, to 16, the time given by volunteers from the churches to serve our communities um, was, was worth more than £2 billion. Vast amount of time given freely and willingly generously but despite all that if society is sick and we are supposed to be the salt of the earth why are we not keeping society well our reaction cannot be one of pointing the finger we need to take a long hard look at ourselves who we are and how we live in terms of what we do to what extent are we treating the symptoms of the Malaysian society rather than its cause? All the things we do are treating the symptoms of the condition. But how did society get to be so ill well in the first place? How did we fail to keep society healthy? Did we embrace the spirit of the age rather than embodying the spirit of God? How distinctive are we? How different are we? We need to consider the warning issued by Krishna Krishnamurti. It is, he said, no measure of good health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. How well adjusted are we to the society in which we live? How little persecution do we suffer because of our beliefs, because we fit in so well? Somewhere on the line did we stop being salt, Is that why our society fails to absorb the values of the Spirit of God? Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. And if society is sick spiritually, then it's going to be sick in all sorts of other ways as well. That's why as God's people, the spiritual well-being of society rests with us. So this is really important. So I guess the crucial question is, what is that quality of saltiness that makes us distinctive and which is so essential to the well-being of society? Jesus was short on detail. You are the salt of the earth, he said, but he didn't spell it out for us. But there are clues elsewhere in Scripture. In Colossians 4.6, Paul says, Our conversation should always be seasoned with salt, and that means that everything we say should express or convey grace. And the idea that our words can convey or express grace is found elsewhere in Jewish writings. In Proverbs we read, The lips of the righteous bestow grace, but the mouth of the wicked turns it away. And a similar idea is expressed by the Jewish writer Jesus Ben-Sidak, who said, A fool's chatter is like carrying a heavy load on a journey, but grace is found in the speech of someone who's intelligent. What's that all about? Well, if you've spoken to someone who speaks grace, you know what that's like. You won't hear complaining, you won't hear them running someone down, you won't hear them being negative. Their speech will lift you up. Their words will encourage you and have the capacity to bring out the best in you. Their words bring hope, healing, life, peace and forgiveness. What they say brings grace to those who listen. Seasoning our conversation with salt means speaking with grace. Could salt then be a symbol of grace? If so, that means we need to be people not just who talk grace, but to live grace out in practice. And what does grace look like? Well, John Barclay has written a massive book, Paul on the Gift, which is the definitive definition of grace and how it works. He identifies six features of grace. Firstly, grace is generous. It's extravagant, lavish, abundant never stingy doesn't count the cost it gives and gives freely we're called to be generous people and grace is, is sheer benevolence it is just giving with no strings attached no hidden agenda it's not about what we can get out of it at the end we give because we are people of grace generosity sheer benevolence should be the defining characteristic both of the gift i give this to you freely And of the giver. I'm the kind of person who gives freely and generously. Thirdly, grace takes the initiative. It makes the first move. Doesn't wait for somebody else to make the first move. I'll say sorry if you say sorry first. Or I'll forgive you if you apologise. Grace starts the ball rolling. As God did with us in Jesus. When we were far off, God sent his son to be our saviour. And grace doesn't stop to work out whether the recipient is worthy or good enough to receive the gift. Grace gives to those who don't deserve it, as God did with us, sending his son to us when we did not deserve it. And grace makes makes a difference. There are no empty gestures here. People's lives are transformed when they receive and encounter grace. And grace gives without expecting anything back in return. There's no tit-for-tat, no trade of give-and-take. Grace just gives and gives and gives. Two things for me to say straight away. A word of confession and a word of caution. The word of confession is, I'm not very good at this. But John Barclay himself, these are the perfections of grace, he says. This is grace at its best, but it sets us a target to work towards and the second is a word of caution there are ruthless and unscrupulous people out there who will not hesitate to gain your trust to scam you out of thousands or hundreds of thousands of pounds so let me make it clear i'm not inviting you to go and empty your bank account and give it to anyone who appears to be a good or worthy cause but i do believe that god calls us to be people of grace People who express and convey grace not just by what we say but how we live. In all our interactions with others God calls us to be people who are characterised by an open-handed generosity of giving, not taking. Of lifting up, not putting down. Of befriending, not avoiding. Of loving and serving and helping. Of being salt in our society. Jesus put it simply, didn't he? Freely received, freely give. There is something deeply countercultural about living lives of grace. I suspect that when we look at society, there is so much there that is rooted in self-centeredness. And grace actually is an effective antibiotic to fight that, the antidote to self-centeredness which lies so much at the root of our society. Because ours is a consumerist culture, and it's all about me and my comfort and what I want and what I enjoy. Grace is different to that. Antibiotics weren't around in Jesus' day. So instead of saying, you are the antibiotic against selfishness, he said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. So go in and in all your dealings with other people, live as people of grace. That's our calling and our privilege. Let's stand us in together. O oh, Church, arise and put your armour on. grace and serve the Lord for the glory of his name.